Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. On this episode, we have Graham Hall of the Gainesville Sun. He's going to break down the Arkansas victory for us and kind of give his observations as somebody that's been covering the program up close and personal. Uh, Is the team improving? Why they're improving? What to do about the kind of defensive dilemmas that they've had that they have down the stretch? Uh, The five game stretch to finish is going to be really the toughest part of the schedule in SEC play. We're going to dive into that. Uh, We'll talk about the growth of Trey Mann, uh, the maturity of the freshman bigs, much, much more. Really cool conversation with Graham. Eric is on vacation in Las Vegas. He will be back to preview the Kentucky game, so we will drop that before the Gators head up to Rupp Arena to play their rival. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. It's Neil. I am with Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun. Does an excellent job covering Florida sports, but covering Florida basketball right now. Um, Graham, kind of a weird night at the uh, Odom last night because it, it seemed like a night where Florida was going to have to create its energy. Like early, it was a little bit sleepy, but for a midweek game, it ended up being kind of a good atmosphere and kind of a, obviously a chippy game. I mean, just your initial thoughts on uh, Florida's win over Arkansas. And, and thanks for joining us today. Oh, yeah, Neil. Uh, thanks for having me on the pod. You guys do such a great job contributing uh, valuable insight and information to, to the Florida uh, Gators basketball team. Uh, you and Eric, obviously, you know, I, I try and listen whenever I can. And you guys are always really thoughtful, engaging when I do and come away having learned something. So thanks for having me on. You know, definitely a midweek game. I had looked at this contest I think through a different lens than a lot of people, you know, until uh, what January 10th there, I, I was thinking that Arkansas was one of those, I guess, dark horse teams in the sec. If, if you had caught me, then I would have told you that before Baylor really did some work on Florida. I thought that that Arkansas backcourt was one of the best in the country, but really they have been hit by the injury bug, not just, Mason Jones and not just Isaiah Joe, but Witt has dealt with something. Adio Bailey has dealt with something. You know, really a team that started off so hot in the first 17 games. And I think Florida had a really good chance to to pick up a win there over a quality team missing their second best player. And to that, you know, I thought it was impressive, but not a lot of people saw it as such. It's been a very strange year. Uh, (laughs) But, but, you know, what what an interesting game that it was itself because and I wrote about this today it was a very balanced offensive performance that really a lot of what worked well came off of solid defensive play and and I thought that that was worth noting because we had seen so much up and down so much inconsistency uh so much tapering off plateauing whatever you want to call it on the offensive end and I, I I never thought that we could really get optimistic until as of late, I mean, Andrew Nemhard, Keontae Johnson, and, and Noah Locke, I think, are playing cohesively some of their best basketball right now. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. And I thought, you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that Florida can become pretty limited offensively when Kerry Blackshear and Keontae Johnson aren't on the floor. Uh, Kerry, not so much because he's been quite as efficient as we all expected, I think, but because uh, just the double teams that he commands. I mean, people – continue to refuse there's been three teams that I can think of that have decided to to guard him 
with one guy and it hasn't ended particularly well for any of them. Um, so, but, but when he gets foul trouble like he had yesterday and then Keontae goes out with 10 minutes to go, Florida's up 17. Uh, and then we see kind of Florida forces shots and Arkansas is able to get out and transition and get back in the game. But it was interesting to me that, that to your point, there was cohesive half court offense when Florida needed it. And then there was really good half court defense. It seemed like Arkansas did so much damage in transition. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I thought that, and Mike White was frustrated by those plays that you mentioned where, where Florida either struggled to get back or the bad offensive flow and it immediately resulted in a pick six, which right there <laughs> is that, you know, four point swing uh, that makes coaches want to pull their hair out where, where you immediately let a team run it down your throat right away. And, and then your next offensive possession, you're, you're feeling even less confident. And, and I think that Florida avoided that a good bit. And, and then I think one of those other storylines that we miss all the time is in transition themselves. I think Florida has gotten much wiser when it comes to playing less recklessly and, and realizing when to slow it up and uh, pull, pull it back and, and run a set and run a play and when to push it down another team's throat, because they do have guys like Scotty Lewis and Keontae Johnson, who I, I think has made a huge leap in these past, not only these past two months, but really this season since he's become a consistent deep threat, uh, from long range for Florida, that's really made teams have to to come out on him more, and and he beats guys off the dribble so well that really, you know, this is the time of year that when we sat back, you want the offense to be improving in this rate. You know, a lot of people wanted instant gratification in in November in October with a team that had eight underclassmen and a graduate right. transfer who really, and no knock on Kerry Blackshear Jr., wasn't a guy who you could just instantly plug in and say, go get 20 points, 10 rebounds. And I think a lot of people mistakenly thought that that would be the case. I mean, he he is a, a byproduct of good offense. That's why when you talk to Mike White and the team during the offseason, they mentioned things like passing, facilitating, being a professional, rather than saying, oh, he's going to light up you know, the scoreboard every single night, they knew what they were getting with him. And that's why you're seeing, that's why I'm saying this is so impressive because you have a night where he plays 11 minutes and really a rough stretch of three, four games where he either picked up foul trouble or uh, one thing or another, it just really wasn't his night. And Florida has still found ways to move the basketball. And I think that is a sign of a team that is understanding more so the offensive system that they're running uh, rather than looking for, hey, this guy can go get me a basket right now. Uh, this is this guy's turn to shoot it. And, and that's the last thing you want um, with your team's offense is thinking that guys are picking, choosing, and sharing the basketball for that reason. You want guys playing unselfishly. And, and Florida is doing, I think, a lot of that right now. And it seems to be flying under the radar these last few games. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good points to, to unpack in that. And I think, you know, you could start with, with – the fact that Florida has produced offensively in this, this stretch of six games. Now, I mean, you have to take into account competition, uh, you know, five and one against teams other than Arkansas that, that aren't really a threat to make the NCAA tournament. But, um, but they, but it's a bunch of teams that defend you a bunch of different ways. And it, like, you know, you don't really realize how intense Arkansas's ball pressure is until you see them in person. I've watched them a couple of times on TV. And for me, at least being in the uh, in the arena last night, it's kind of crazy how how they come at your guards and really force you to extend. 
And for the most part, Florida got a little rattled in the first half, um, made some careless turnovers, but much, much better in the second half. And doing that uh, against that style of defense after playing kind of a, a Vanderbilt team that drops all their screens and wants to protect the paint, um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to see Florida execute at a high level against multiple defensive looks. Hasn't always been the case under Mike White. Uh, some of it, I think, due to talent. Some of it just uh, due to, you know, the fact that, like you said, you got eight underclassmen and, and you're getting older and, and better. You know, Scotty Lewis plays a career-high 38 minutes yesterday, or 37, I think. Um, so a lot of growing up um, and – you know, a lot of encouraging things on the offensive end. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, I'm glad that you said it was a real combination because I think that oftentimes we get in this fallacy of thinking that everyone in the season knows how things are going to go from Kerry Blackshear Jr. to the sophomores to the freshmen to even Mike White and Al Pinkins and the coaching staff. And this is a game, as, as everyone knows, of consistent reflection an adaptation and I think that if you assess it on a metric like that that you have to be impressed with how Florida has identified their flaws this season address them in practice when they can without overloading those eight underclassmen um, and shaking their confidence and because that is a delicate balance that you have to strike of in this day and age of managing fatigue not throwing too much at your players and still trying to maximize that three-hour whatever practice session, that's a very difficult situation in this time of year when a lot of that management goes into you know fatigue management and working on what you established in November and December. The fact that Florida has improved in the half-court offense, um, if their transition defense could get anywhere near, um, I think, and that again, maybe you mentioned personnel that just may be the personnel in the hand that they're dealt right now when it comes to getting back. I mean, a guy like Trey Mann just gives up a lot of size that he can do everything he can, but a guy like Mason Jones is going to throw it down on him nine times out yeah. of 10. And, and that's just the hand that they're dealt. But you see the leaps that guys like Scotty Lewis and Keontae Johnson, uh, and even Quez Glover, I think from a defensive standpoint, just in his understanding of team defense, when he is in there, Really, those ways that Florida has improved is allowing them to run this half-court offense confidently where, where they can beat guys uh, in a variety of ways and make the extra pass and free someone up in the corner or, or a guy like Keontae Johnson uh, where teams like Arkansas are, are going to try and push him off. And if you do that, he can drive right by you and, and pick up a foul. And you know what? He shot 17 free throws yeah. against Arkansas. That was huge. You know, Eric Musselman after the game, was kind of in disbelief sitting there, you know, the guy gets 24 points and he only attempts seven field goals. <laughs> you don't really see that very often. And in this day and age, if the referees are going to call the game the way that they are calling the game right now, that is a sign, I think, of intelligence and, and skill, realizing that if that's the way the team's going to defend you and that's the way that the referees are going to call the game, you need someone who can get to the basket uh, and kind of create that mismatch. You know, we talked so long about the negative aspect of Keontae Johnson being the four, being an undersized guy at six foot five, giving up so much size. We, we harped on the negatives for so long that I think it is now time to reflect on the positives. When he is able to hit the three point shot at that rate, you have to defend him uh, that far out there. And he has the speed 
um, and the quickness and I think the ball handling ability that he didn't really have over the last 18 months to put that ball in the floor and, and, and dunk it or pick up the foul or, and, and he's improving as a passer, find a guy in the corner uh, or on the wing and, and knock down a shot, which you're seeing Noah Locke do his hit 10 of his last 13 threes. So Florida's offense is getting, I think a lot more diverse and, you know, it's, it is a far cry in a sense from that slow, stagnant, uh, lack of communication offense that we were seeing early on, even in the first 15 games. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And, and I think, you know, Keontae's a guy that has always kind of been a smart player that, that recognized when he, it was time to attack a closeout or, or recognize the next pass, but sometimes the execution wasn't always there. And I think, you know, you make a great point that, that he was, that, that that's something that he's, becoming you know it's just a matter of becoming more consistent and I think uh, you know he's certainly done that and then uh, obviously you know the way that Noah's shooting the ball right now uh, that puts a lot of strain on defenses because you know help help defenders want to follow Noah Locke so that there are driving lanes and so now you see a guy like Scotty Lewis attack a couple closeouts last night and you know makes Mm -hmm. the the sports center top 10 play uh for 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 how he got up but you know it was a great recognition play and and early in the season he was traveling on a lot of those because he was indecisive right now he's making good decisions and and attacking the closeouts and even you know even the the bigs the young bigs are are help i mean they they only hit one of their six field goal attempts last night but I thought Jason had such a good night, right? Yeah, right. He got in such good positions. I mean, those are shots that they're going to go down eventually. I mean, you know, you have to be encouraged by the way Jason Jatobo played. Again, like you said, Kerry Blackshear played 11 minutes and had six turnovers. Like, it was his worst game at Florida. And Uh, I think that, you know, we often have – and I'm sorry to butt in here, but we often too much – I I think say – it's even kind of crazy to to me to sit here and say, oh, Jason Jatobo, a guy that – you know, at this point a year ago, we didn't know what kind of role he was going to play for Florida in any capacity, if he would even be at Florida, whatever, right. what would happen. And now due to a, the way that Florida's front court situation is shaken out, you know, that always kind of was so jarring to me that Florida lost so many high profile front court signees and the depth was so there, but people still were banking on them big in, and I hate to always bring up the preseason ranking, but people still thought that they could reach that potential when it was so clear that it was Blackshear and then you were counting on a guy and not to disparage him in any, in any way, but you were counting on a guy in Gorjog Gak who had shown promise with, I think a few other teams besides the Gators nationally and then in practice, but just really you couldn't count on him for serious minutes and then had to leave the team and chase Johnson had to medically retire, blah, blah, blah. You guys know the full history. This team would have to count on Jason Jatobo and Omar Payne in spurts if anything happened to a guy like Keontae Johnson, who we already just said is an undersized four, and Kerry Blackshaw Jr., who is not really a true center, uh, despite however you want to label him, yeah. this team has to count on freshmen, true freshmen, and seeing them out there sealing well, calling for the ball, um, ball screen action, and hedging well. I mean, that's stuff that guys like that weren't really even taught that until recently and seeing that out there, you know, I just wanted to note that because I think we often take that stuff for granted too much. When you see a guy like Jason Jatobo ready to play 12, 15 minutes and run as well as he has a guy who's dropped 30 pounds off his frame. You can't underscore that because that was huge for Florida in a stretch where 
they easily could have coughed, coughed up that 19-point lead and, and almost did. And it wasn't for guys like Omar Payne, who who is much improved as of late here after a little bit of dip in production, and Jason Jatobo, who was not even playing, you know, at LSU when when Kerry Blackshear Jr. had that viral infection and Dante got hurt with the calf bruise. They thought that Jason was going to have to play maybe 20 minutes that night, and he was expecting to play. And then and then Kerry ended up fighting through that. That's a guy who's just been re- waiting, ready for his number to be called, and and I think stepped up huge last night and, and picked up a very valuable win for Florida. And, and, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that because our expectations right now for him are much higher than many people expected, and I, I think that we forget that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great point, and I think, you know, I'm glad you brought up seals and hedges and just doing intelligent things because that that impact winning you know when when you are one for four but you still impact winning in in your 16 minutes like like he did and and you know another thing that Florida did that was intelligent was just the way that they played offense in the last 10 minutes of the game I mean you're playing a team that you know Mason Jones played all 40 minutes he uh, he didn't come out uh I think Witt had Witt was over 35 I know Desi Sills played 35 they don't have a lot of depth. Uh, Adrio Bailey took a punch from Tyson Fury and somehow managed to play 30. Um, you know, so I don't know. It, it's wild to me that, that, you know, Florida had the intelligence and the maturity to say, these guys are tired. Let's attack the basket. And I'm sure that that was something that the staff was emphasizing in timeouts. Like, look, they're getting tired. There's going to be gaps there. But you still have to do it. And, you know, a year ago, would Andrew Nimhart finish all those layups at the rim? Probably not, you know. So I think, I think you've seen a lot of growth both from a maturity standpoint and, and just kind of a recognition and understanding of the moment standpoint that, that, uh, that has to be encouraging as they get ready for the toughest stretch of the season. I agree. And I, and I think that Andrew is using his body, I think, so much better to get himself a better shot and and that just sounds kind of simple to put it like that but it's one of those things where you're a guy like a six foot five guy you know that is something that you don't really learn I think until this late in the game and and his ability to improve that while you know you mentioned playing a ton of minutes a guy who's played so much basketball over the last two three plus years um that is still finding ways to improve his game I think he was perfect um from the field uh, or from inside three point uh, in that previous game um, that, that he was playing after the sprained ankle that you didn't know if he was going to even play in the Texas A&M game. Uh, and, and then that 17.7 what seven rebound four assist, you know, he did have a season high five turnovers. I hate to nitpick on that in any yeah. sort of way, especially against a Arkansas defense that what we were just saying is so good at, at denying and, and cutting off passing lanes. And, you know, I think that Andrew has gotten, I think an, unfair amount of um, disservice in a way because you mentioned that slow half-court offense when you're you're playing a team um, that excels so well in transition like Arkansas you don't want to I think create so many possessions that they get an opportunity to build some momentum and get back in the game you watched that Auburn game earlier in the season and that was I think that made me think of that game a whole lot because when Florida had a lead they really slowed it down and avoided any chance of Auburn going on huge runs and getting out in transition because that's what they were looking to do to, to cut into this 12-point, 14-point lead in a time. And because they couldn't do what they like to do on offense and they couldn't, you know, they, they were 
so anxious about cutting that lead that they were making simple mistakes in the half court. And, and Florida, I think, capitalized on that. And, and this is one of those times where all the people who say, why do we run this slow for 13th or whatever it is, pace of play in the SEC offense? And it's because when you do it so effectively, it makes it so hard for teams to come back. And when you add in the variety of offense and, and you – talked so much about the, the, the penetration. You, you made some great points about, you know, how they realized that that strategy wouldn't really work. They would have to attack the interior um, of Arkansas's defense. That's when guys like Jason and Omar are huge. And them having that extra little bit of layer since that Auburn game, I, I think has made – that's direct progress I think you can point to and say that is a leap that this team has made offensively in these last four or five weeks. Yeah, I, you know, one one kind of takeaway from from this game, like big picture, is, is Florida readies for the last five. And then I want to ask you some questions about kind of your outlook on team growth. I think you've touched on a lot of on a lot of it, but but I think one thing that's happening now is defensively, Florida has, uh, you know, Florida's put together a couple of their better defensive performances. Now, obviously, Arkansas not with uh, Isaiah Joe. Who, who changes them offensively, you know, I think everybody would agree with that. And, and you know, obviously Florida catches Vanderbilt without Neesmith. Uh, it looks like they're going to get Kentucky Saturday with Ashton Hagens not practicing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, Hagens is going to do the Nimhard and just sit practices and try to go. That's what Calipari said today. So um, we'll see. It's, it's worth monitoring. He's got a deep, Thigh contusion, those hurt. I uh, asked Dante. Ooh, yeah, asked Dante Bassett. So, uh, but but you know what's interesting to me is Florida puts that together last night, and I think some people were tempted to say, well, Florida struggled in pick and roll coverages so much this year, Graham, and some of that is is that Carey is just kind of limited as an athlete. You know, what do you do to hide Carey Blackshear on defense? And I'm not sure that there is anything I thought I felt like what's happened is that the staff has kind of adjusted. And when carries on the floor, they're kind of defending pick and rolls one way. And when he's not, you know, they're using a pain or a Jatobo to kind of rim protect in a different way. And, and it's been a good adjustment, at least the last couple games, you could argue that maybe it came late, but I think they have finally made an adjustment. I think so too. I think that this staff rightfully so overestimated how much some of these guys would understand team defense and um i I, at the same token i I don't think that they and this is again no knock on carry at all i don't think that they had a full understanding of his uh, you know athletic limits in a sense you know that guy is expected they, they saw someone who frequently floats out to the perimeter and expected that he could be all over the court and as you mentioned that they're finding multiple ways that they have to uh hide him or disguise that you know I kind of maybe bit off a little more than I can chew and assume and assumed that they would incorporate a little bit more zone to kind of yeah you know help him out there but there is definitely an argument to make for do you go away from what works well and what you like doing just temporarily at the expense of possibly everyone else at this point in the season or do you just find ways to limit the possible repercussions of that. And I think that they've chosen the latter. And I think it's easier to choose the latter right now when you look around the country and say, someone, something is going on with a three-point shooting, whether it's 
mental, whether it's the line, whatever you want to call it, something has made it so that giving up, I think, a three-point shot or, or a contested three-pointer is, is better than um, allowing an offensive rebound and a potential, let's call it how it is, a potential bad foul, um, which has been the case, I think, for him. And, and, and I think that they're finding ways, and I do think that they're finding ways, but then I see him only play 11 minutes, and, and I, I wonder if, if Florida still has some things to figure out here before these last five, six games. Um, to really get the best out of Blackshear uh, on, a, on the defensive end um, because, because I still think there's some work that can be done. Yeah, no, and I think the big thing for, for me and Eric that we've talked about is is just changing your pick-and-roll coverages so that, you know, Kerry just can't blitz screens like Kavarius Hayes could. Uh, he He's not going to just kind of stay stationary and – and rim protect the way Johnny Bunu did, you know, he's just not of that athletic ilk. So I think you have to kind of protect him a little bit. And, and like you said, you take your chances with mid range twos, uh, take your chances of three point jump shots, certainly Saturday, you know, I think it would be a mistake for Florida to, to have carry too extended on defense. I do think that, you know, you want to have carry operating against Nick Richards as much as possible offensively, but, but, uh, you know, I know they made like eight threes in a row in the second half yesterday in Baton Rouge, but that was like one of those things that, that just never happens. Kentucky's not a very good shooting basketball team, and I think you want to do everything you can to kind of close gaps and, and keep them away from the rim as much as possible. Um, you know, and I'm not saying Florida's going to win in Rupp Arena, but I do think you're right. Like, it's finding the balance between how you play with Blackshear on the floor because he's so much help to you offensively and how do you play when he's out of the game? And I, that might be the biggest question the team has right now down the stretch. Yeah. If Omar especially can't give you more than a, a four or five minute stretch uh, where either he is, is slow, you know, to, to rotate over, you know, and, and, you know, I'm so distracted right now because you mentioned Kavarius Hayes and I was just talking to Eric a few <laughs> days ago about how badly this team uh, could use a guy like Kavarius Hayes. And at the same time, I was kind of complaining that people really always judged Hayes by his, you know, six foot bunny jumpers that never seemed to fall yeah. at the right time, rather than the fact that that was an emotional leader in the locker room who brought defensive presence and, we what put up 16 points and 10 rebounds on that Eric Musselman coach Nevada team in the NCAA tournament last year. I mean, the guy people acted like the guy couldn't play, and right now that would be the perfect fit yeah. for Florida's defensive woes. I mean, and they kind of would love if Omar Payne could just be that defensive force where he is just you know a maniac on the glass and and rotating well and uh, you know just brings consistency at, at this point in the season because um, that's one of those things where in this day and age when you have a graduate transfer like Kerry Blackshear Jr. who is used to making runs and what was a, a shot away from helping beat Duke last season in the NCAA tournament you know people forget that there were it was very rare that he led the team in, in rebounds and I wouldn't even say he was that Virginia Tech team's best scorer, but he just did so much well. And now we're expecting a guy to, I, I think, have all these defensive responsibilities and lead these eight underclassmen and 
play a large amount of minutes every single game. And, and this is the point in the season where those things, one of those things just falls off the rails. And I don't think we're really at that point right now yet, but they definitely need, I think, a presence to step up defensively. And I don't know whether it's Omar. I don't know whether it's Jason. I don't know whether it's really anyone consistently. It may just be a night in, night out thing. And that's why I'm not, I'm not, I don't find anything wrong with when Mike White says we have to base it off what we see in practice, because when it comes to those freshman big men, that really is the determinant for what may be the most helpful uh, rotation to play on any given night. And, and that's one of those realities of a, a team like this. You know, last thing I'll say real quick, Mike said at the, at the beginning of the season, and I keep thinking of, of how he said this. And at the time I kind of was like, Oh man, you know, is, is this like a premonition or whatever? But he, he really seriously said, I have a newfound respect for coaches that every single year get five freshmen and you know, <laughs> have three sophomores and, you know, then still make a run. And people talk about it as if it's business as usual. And if anything, I, not that I needed, I think, to have newfound respect for him, but guys like John Calipari and yeah. Jim Bayheim and Coach K, who regularly teach kids about life and develop them as people aside from basketball players, you know, Mike white is only in what 10 years of coaching and he was an assistant and there's still a whole lot for him to learn when it comes to getting the most out of his players. And and I think that um, we have really seen that this season, him make a huge growth uh, as well when it comes to uh, handling guys, because, you know, I said when we first started that, this has been a season of growth for, for everyone um, through 25 games, and, and he's no exception to that. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and I, and I, think, I think it's very true. Uh, you know, and the guy that I would point out kind of before I ask my final question for you that, that I think exemplifies that right now is Trey Mann because when you, when you talk about a player that – I mean, he played our team uh, that I coach and, and scored like 38 points, and it was like effortless. I mean – you know, and, and we were good um, for, for, you know, for the classification we're at. It's high school basketball, but, you know, we, we had two Division One players, so we were pretty good. And, uh, and he scored 38 points, and it was just it – he scores without trying. And so I bought in. I mean, I, I thought uh, this is going to be the sixth man that Florida's kind of missed since Canyon Berry, the guy that comes in, is instant offense. And for whatever reason, uh, you know, his jump shot – hasn't really fallen um and and there's been moments you know where you think he's gonna get on track but it hasn't and this staff has managed to get him to buy in defensively to where he's gone from being a liability on defense to a guy that you trust defensively unless like you said he's just overwhelmed by physicality um because otherwise he's been really good on defense the last three or four games and it's why his minutes have shot up oh yeah Oh, yeah. And and I'm glad that you mentioned Trey Mann, because I think people right now have given him a very unfair knock because you looked at the draft express ranking and you looked at what you know you said. And many people said, oh, cool. We got a lottery pick in Gainesville. And yeah. <laughs> it's not that simple. You got compared to Jamal Crawford. <laughs> right. I mean, and and, you know, Brad Beal, when 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 he was in Gainesville, Trey Mann was starstruck. That was. That was like his LeBron James. And 
you know, I think that there was this mentality that he was going to be in next Brad Beal. And I'm not going to say that whether he believed it or, or whether Mike White believed it, but there were definitely people who believed it. And it definitely got back to Trey. And what he's been trying to do, I, I, I think, first and foremost, I got to say that it's very noble because as someone who grew up in Gainesville and I, I don't want to say had a, you know, like I had reasons that I wanted to, to work in Gainesville. Like when I turned 18, I had unfinished business and I went to the University yeah. of Florida. And, you know, that was, that yeah. was on my list. And, and for Trey, I can only imagine growing up in Gainesville, having everyone is, in his ear saying, you have a chance to go to the University of Florida, blah, blah, blah. What that did for him and, and what that does for him on a night in and night out basis. He's not just playing for himself. He's playing for probably hundreds of other people of various degrees of importance in his life. And that is extremely, extremely difficult. And I think that too often we sit there and say, oh, he missed a three-pointer. You can't play him right now. And that is just too simple of a classification for a guy like that. And I'm glad he brought up defensively because he's improving in ways that he can control. You can't control sometimes if, you're, if you shoot the ball perfectly and it just doesn't go in. That, that happens all the time. You can't control your minutes. You can't control non-contact injuries. You can't control a variety of things. But the one thing you can control is how hard you try on defense. And Trey Mann has made impressive, impressive steps there as of late. And, and I think that you can't undersell that at all. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, he, you know, he's I made huge leaps for them. And, and last thing, last thing I'll say about him in the beginning of the season, um, I looked at Noah Locke and because I think so many people were saying, oh, Trey Mann's a you know, point guard rather than a, a combo guard and whatever you want to call it. I, right. I, I'm not going to nitpick with people, but very early on, I looked at Noah Locke at a media session and I said, how much do you see a lot of Trey Mann right now uh, in yourself? I mean, your situation last year, the way that things started out, Kavon Allen, those first four games, he was really struggling and Noah was hitting shots and him hitting shots made it so that Mike White had the confidence just five games in to insert him into the starting lineup, which was a huge, bold decision to sit a senior. I mean, we can't undersell it. Looking back, it did look like the obvious choice at the time, but Noah Locke, a, a true freshman, had a starting opportunity uh, just all of a sudden. And if he hadn't been hitting shots, he would not have had the opportunity. Trey started two for 12 from three. And if he was hitting shots, who knows how much different his role would have been and where his confidence would, have be, would be. That's just how finicky sometimes the situation is. And the fact that he was able to avoid letting that get him too down and, and buy in, I, I think is one of those things that you have to mention because too often freshmen go the exact, the opposite route. I mean, we've seen it in Gainesville, whether it was Isaiah Stokes, a variety of guys where people do let their development be hindered by their current role and their current situation. Right. And we've seen how sad and negative that can be. So I think you do have to give kudos to someone who has managed to avoid that pitfall. And then you factor in the Gainesville and the pressure that he probably is doing what people do to me when I make a mistake in one of my articles in the paper, people <laughs> are telling me what I did wrong, you know, rather than the so-and-so and so-and-so and so things I did right or whatever, because that's the world that we live in. You know, yeah. trade has a million things right in practice and goes to class at a really tough university, but people see him, his friends, and they say, man, bro, we know you could hit that three. And yeah. the fact that he has not let that uh, negatively affect him so much playing in his hometown and is bought in on defense 
especially become a very adept team of defender and communicating really well. I'm glad you, again, you mentioned that because that, that is one of those things that too often just kind of goes under the radar when you're a three point shooter, because people say that you're playing well, if you're hitting shots and you're not playing well, if you're not, and it's way more complex than that, as you know. So, so last question, I'll, I'll leave you with this five game stretch against, I think, four really good, uh, you know, well, I guess they play the same team. So they four five games against four teams, one team, not very good, but three teams I think are pretty good, including Tennessee, who's come on uh, a bit, although they're a little bit like Florida because you really never know which version of them is going <laughs> to gonna appear. But yeah. I, you know, I feel like, you know, I saw today that um, I, I didn't see, I heard Joe Lenardi today saying, that he thought that Florida would be, you know, safely in that seven range with with three wins. Um, you know, you think this team, the way they're playing now, has those three wins in them in the in the last five? I do. I I, I think it's going to be close. I wouldn't be surprised if that <laughs> third win um, came either on the road at Georgia or or obviously that Kentucky game at home in the final game of the season. And as you as you know, everyone will be talking doom and gloom. Before that game, obviously we had looked at, you know, I said six game stretch at the beginning of, of the year. Looks like a now a five game stretch after they beat Arkansas. I think you win one of those Kentucky games. I think LSU is very, very beatable. You talk to this Florida program, they're still a little bit uh, upset about that way that game shook out. They feel like they easily could have beat that team if they had handled themselves better, I think, in the second half especially. But towards the end of the first half of that LSU game, they just threw away a double-digit lead in Baton Rouge yep. just because they didn't know how to beat a 3-2 zone press, if I remember correctly. And and Quez and Trey and and Omar, those guys are miles ahead of where they were at at that point, knock on wood. Um, and I think that they can definitely beat LSU. If they get the version of Tennessee that um, – the bizarro Tennessee version <laughs> that we've seen in certain stretches. I think that that game is very, very winnable. I think that I, I really just, I haven't looked at Tennessee too much on honestly to see what they do well and what they that's do a great, well. That's a great carry Blackshear game, Graham, for your, for okay. Your, so <laughs> if you keep Blackshear, him out of foul trouble, Blackshear Fulkerson is, is like a dream Blackshear matchup. And I, and I've got to probably think that, that, you know, he, he kind of wants to, I don't know, maybe send a message to Rick Barnes. Like, you know, I, I heard yeah. that he didn't really like him too much in the recruitment, but yeah. what do you, how much of that stuff can you believe? But I, I think that if they do that, they beat LSU. If they beat Tennessee on the road, Georgia, I'm going to that game actually in Athens. Uh, that's a very, I think, winnable contest. But <laughs> if, if Anthony Edwards is hitting, you know, one foot, step away, fade, fade away three-pointers, you know, in your face <laughs> through solid defense. I mean, what are you going to do? Right. If you saw how he played in that game after that, they didn't hit a three-pointer until like the f last five minutes of the game and, and lost by 25 points. So certainly a very, very winnable game for Florida as well if they defend the way that they have as of late. So I do see three wins in there in short. I just don't know which ones they're going to be. I think if you're a Florida fan, obviously you want the best three. And if you could beat LSU at home and then beat Kentucky twice – um, you're you're going to the NCAA tournament. And in this day and age, and I say this to people all the time who say, well, we need to be in the Elite Eight every single year, and if we don't, then <laughs> fire Mike White and sell his house. You just make the tournament is the expectation. In this day and age, so much wackiness happens. I mean, it's like we forget that, you know, Florida just beat an, 
Eric Musselman, who coached Nevada to what, 27 and four last year and yeah. had potentially three NBA players. And Florida did something to Jordan Caroline that no one had done in 100 plus games. I mean, this is a crazy sport. So just make the tournament and then all bets are off. And then you may be that top 10 team that everyone thought you were. And if they win those three games here, then season 2.0 really starts here and we can all get excited again for real like we were in October, right? Yeah, no, we we would, and and just for for the the fun out there, and all of you, you know, Lenardi said that he he said the committee would would consider sending Florida to Tampa to be in that Florida State pod, and so you get that seven two in the second round, and I think a lot of people, I'm told the committee doesn't do that, but I've never believed that um, in a million years that they don't do stuff for TV. Who knows? It's fun to think you, about. You know, we <laughs> I, I speak to the Tip Off Club real quick, and we had. Uh, Linda Teeler in last night and she gave some tremendous stuff. And they said that the one time when it comes to scheduling that they really ever think the TV networks really ever have sway is when it's in one of those destined type, you know, coaches for cancer uh, type tournaments, or when it's in a potential neutral site um, or a yeah. regional based site for the NCAA tournament. And she said that there is politics and play with those. And um, so I would not be surprised if, if Florida, you know, got a little, I don't know, a little home court advantage. You know? I, <laughs> it seems that every time that Florida plays um, on their own home court, I mean, the other team coming in thinks it's their Super Bowl. So yeah, and and what are what is Florida? What four zero in in uh, neutral site games if you include the Charleston Classic there? Yeah, four so, four and one, but yeah, okay, yeah. So hey, odds are in their favor for a chance. For yeah, chance. absolutely. Um, so, Graham, tell everybody where they can find you, Twitter, all that stuff, and and thank you for joining us. Graham does a great job covering Florida for the uh, Gainesville Sun. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. Sorry if I talked your ear off. I no, it's great. Really, really appreciate you having me on here. I, like you said, I write for the Gainesville Sun, Gatorsports.com. Um, I, I think really what um, I, I want people to know is that, uh, you know, I ask Mike White and the team uh, questions frequently. So if you have anything that you're curious about or something that – um, you, you want me to try and, and find out about, please reach out. You can follow me on Twitter at Graham Hall underscore. Uh, my email's in there as well. Don't be a stranger. Really easy to find. And, and I hope we do this again, Neil. Always, yeah. like I said, informative conversation. And I hope I added a little bit to it. Uh, you guys do a, a great job as always. And this is a whole lot of fun, man. Yeah, no, it's awesome having you. Gainesville's own Graham Hall. Uh, th thanks again. My pleasure, man.